Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the New Books Network. Poland emerged from behind the Iron Curtain in the 1990s as one of the bright spots in the transformation from communism to capitalism. After early years of promise, however, the country swerved, along with a number of other East European countries, toward the right. The Law and Justice Party sought to strengthen the religious, that is, the Catholic aspects of Polish life. And after leading the way to the post-communist future, the country took a sharp turn to the right under the Kaczynski brothers. Yet it has just elected a government headed by centrist Donald Tusk, former prime minister of Poland during 2007 to 2014, and then followed by a stint uh, when he left Polish politics to become president of the European Council from 2014 to 2019. So what's happening in Poland? My name is John Torpy, and I'm director of the Ralph Bunch Institute for International Studies at the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. Welcome to International Horizons, a podcast of the Ralph Bunch Institute that brings scholarly and diplomatic expertise to bear on our understanding of a wide range of international issues. We're fortunate to have with us today Grzegorz Eckert, who is Lawrence A. Tisch Professor of Government at Harvard University, director of its Minda de Gunsberg Center for European Studies, and senior scholar at the Harvard Academy for International and Area Studies. At the Center for European Studies, he co-chairs the seminar on democracy, past, present, future. And his books include Ruling by Other Means, State Mobilized Movements, which was co-edited with Elizabeth Perry and Yan Shaojun, uh, by, published by Cambridge University Press in 2020. Uh, Capitalism and Democracy in Central and Eastern Europe, Assessing the Legacy of Communist Rule, which was co-edited with Stephen Hansen and published by Cambridge University Press in 2003. Uh, The authored volume with Jan Kubik, uh, Rebellious Civil Society, Popular Protests and Democratic Consolidation in Poland by the University of Michigan Press in 1999. And the state against society, political crises and their aftermath in East Central Europe, published by Princeton University Press in 1996. Thanks so much for joining us today, Grzegorz Eckert. Yeah, thank you, John. Thank you for this generous uh, uh, introduction. Thank you. Sure. Great to have you. Great to see you after so many years. So perhaps you could begin by reminding some of us of Poland's early post-communist path. I described it as, you know, a kind of promising one. That's certainly my recollection, my understanding, uh, but was regarded as a real bright spot, at least economically speaking, after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Is that an accurate recollection? Yeah, I think uh, it it was definitely uh, accurate, and and I think um, uh, Poland uh, in, in those years of uh, uh, of the 
ending of Cold War uh, played a very important uh, role in the region. Uh, uh, you know, I think to an argument could be made that uh, that the transformations uh, which brought about the fall of communist regimes were really started uh, uh, in Poland uh, in the 19, late 1970s with uh, the emergence of solidarity movement, uh, with the struggles under martial law. Um, Poland had a you know, massive opposition, opposition movement, uh, uh, which um, uh, which sort of membership counted in millions. Uh, uh, so it it play a very important role in uh, uh, in bringing down the the communist regimes. With uh, uh, it was the first country which uh, entered the negotiations with uh, with uh, the the communists uh, about the transition. It was the first country which had a semi um, uh, free election uh, in nineteen. 1989, and it was the first country in the in the region which uh, which elected the first non-communist uh, government um, since um, in, you know, 1944. Uh, so I think um, in all respects, uh, uh, Poland uh, played a, a, a pivotal role in uh, in changes in Eastern Europe. And to you know, surprise of many, uh, I think uh, it had a, a, a incredibly successful uh, transition. To democracy and and uh, and market economy, uh, I think it was surprising because of uh, of uh, the factors I, I mentioned a moment ago. Uh, Poland ha- had a very strong trade unions, very strong uh, uh, political movements, uh, which sort of you know experts are telling us are not exactly the best condition for uh, for a democratic uh, transition. Uh, Polish economy was in terrible shape. Uh, uh, in the 1980s and, and in the turn of the, uh, uh, um, you know, in, in around 1989, with hyperinflation and um, and uh, really serious uh, uh, issues on all you know economic uh, fronts. Uh, so Poland was a very unlikely uh, candidate for swift and, and successful transition, but that's what happened actually, right? So Polish economic reforms were um, uh, very decisive and. And, and very successful uh Polish democracy consolidated um in uh, in um you know quite a remarkable way um and that first 10 years of 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 transition or maybe first 20 years of transition were uh, were very successful. They ended up with Poland being admitted to the NATO and then to becoming a member of the uh, of the European Union. Um, you know, from the economic point of view, I think you know Poland is uh, is uh, is quite amazing success story. Uh, uh, it has been one of the fastest growing economies in the world over the last uh, three decades. Uh, some economists argue that the last 30 year was uh, the most uh, uh, successful period in uh, economically in Polish history over the last several centuries, uh, um, and and the numbers support that view, right? So you know the Polish GDP um, went up three hundred percent during uh, during that period. Um, you know the same apply to living standards and uh, and um, and you know all the other economic uh, uh, economic indicators. Uh, and Poland was the first. Uh, country in uh, in many years, uh, which made the transition from you know developing to developed uh, economies. So several years ago, uh, it was f- finally ranked as 
as uh, as developed uh, uh, developed market economy. Uh, so, um, you know, in this context um, of a very successful uh, very successful transition and and very dynamic uh, economic growth, um, you know, I I have to mention that uh, that you know inequalities uh, uh, initially uh, uh, relatively high by European standards declined quite dramatically. Um, uh, so, you know, when, when Kaczynski government uh, took power uh, in 2015, uh, the Polish inequalities were at the level of uh, of uh, Germany and, and some other welfare states in uh, in Western Europe. Uh, uh, most of the population were uh, incredibly um, 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 happy with uh, with their living situation. I mean, there are public opinion polls which uh, which show that uh, dramatically. So, uh, so I think you know it was a big surprise uh, to many that uh, at that moment uh, uh, polls decided to. Uh, elect, uh, you know, the government, uh, which promised to reverse many of those uh, of those changes over the previous twenty years, uh, uh, was very suspicious of the of the European Union, um, and um, and and decided to uh, really sort of launch the nationalist uh, revolution uh, in Poland. I think the following eight years were uh, incredibly incredibly difficult and frustrating uh, both for you know majority of Poles but also for for uh, international partners of uh, uh, of Poland uh, and uh, the European Union uh, in particular um, right. and I think let, let me interrupt for just a second and say sure. that you know uh, you know I appreciate that sort of uh, account of the early part of the transition period, but 2015 certainly introduces a kind of rupture in that in that trajectory, I would say. And I wonder, I mean, you mentioned the importance of trade unions, and of course, solidarity uh, was the leading force, really, starting in the late 1970s. Uh, but, you know, a, a certain amount of the Polish transition also had to do with the country's, you know, traditional embrace of Catholicism. And I sort of wonder, you know, how did that play a role in the rise of the Kaczynskis, which you describe as, you know, surprising, unexpected, et cetera. So there were always these two forces. I mean, not only trade unions, but trade yes. unions, civil society on the one hand, and also the, you know, the Catholic Church, the Pope at the time, you know, were major players in that. So where does Catholicism fit into the story of the Polish transition? Thinking about the Polish civil society, how it developed uh, uh, after uh, 89, uh, I think uh, it uh, um, we, we had this explosion of uh, of civil society at the beginning of of the transformations uh, uh, with uh, uh, hundreds of uh, thousands of new NGOs being formed. Uh, uh, this was the extension of the liberal uh, civil society. But in the meantime, uh, those uh, building blocks of the old civil society, the trade unions, the solidarity uh, started to decline quite uh, dramatically. Uh, and in, in fact, the solidarity movement moved 
you know, in nationalist right-wing directions. So, uh, so it was an ally of uh, of uh, of uh, Law and Justice Party and and one of the most important supporters of uh, of Law and Justice uh, policies. Now, the church story is uh, uh, is uh, is here, you know, slightly different dimension of uh, of transformation. So, um, you know, the Polish Church um, was. Uh, suspicious of uh, of uh, movement to democracy and uh, and um, market capitalism to say the least um and and try to play a political role in in this being um, sort of placing itself as the arbiter of of changes right so not really becoming a side of uh, of transformation but really an institution which overlooks uh, political uh, change. Uh, you know, Poland never had a, a, a Catholic uh, uh, Christian Democratic Party uh, after '89, which suggests that Church was not really interested in becoming, you know, a, a, a part of 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 politics in a sort of normal democratic way, uh, uh, supporting one of the political parties in the in the political landscape. Uh, but really wanted to be something much more important, um, uh, and I think um, you know we 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 see the effort of the church over the first uh, twenty years of transition to to reap a significant economic benefits from transformation. Um, um, the property of church was returned uh, um, um, in ways which sort of are not exactly transparent. Uh, the church was supported by uh, by um, consecutive governments uh, in quite significant way, and social agenda of 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 the church, including abortion and, and others, uh, were really um, you know becoming a kind of you know a, a political uh, political uh, um, you know set of issues very very important for for the country. So uh, so you know the church was. Uh, um, taking lots of benefits from transformation but at the same time we see quite significant secularization of of Polish society so people are moving away from from church um and I think um you know especially when you when you look at the attendance uh, um, of you know in masses uh, uh Sunday masses and 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 other you know, church holidays. Uh, fewer and fewer people uh, participate, and and fewer and fewer young people uh, participate uh, in this. Uh, so, church was very much alarmed by those developments and was trying to fortify its position by really making a very strong alliance to uh, to Kaczynski uh, political party and and the nationalist bloc uh, in the in the Polish uh, parliament. The church also. You know, supported uh, what I what I call the pillarized uh, civil society. Uh, the Polish civil society is deeply divided, uh, almost the same way the Polish uh, political uh, parties are divided. Uh, you have a significant liberal uh, bloc within civil society with. Uh, uh, with some professional organizations, with uh, lots of NGOs of uh, various kinds, lots of foundations supporting uh, supporting liberal uh, values and causes. But on the other hand, you have very conservative um, 
pillar of civil society, which is mostly organized by uh, by Catholic Church and and based on parishes, um, uh, with completely different you know agenda. Uh, uh, this pillar sort of cooperates with uh, uh, with the radical uh, nationalist movements with you know, some uh, uh, really unpleasant uh, uh, neo-fascist uh, 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 small groups, uh, uh, which, uh, which you know, fortunately are not uh, highly visible and influential, but nevertheless, they're there. Uh, you probably caught this latest scandal in the Polish parliament when one of the uh, really deranged uh, uh, radical movements of a very strange party uh, jumped uh, at the lightning menorah uh, uh, event uh, with uh, with you know uh, so um, I think that's um, uh, that's the story um, um, the question uh, now in Poland is uh, uh, um, whether the coalition of uh, right-wing nationalist uh, groups and the church uh, it, uh, uh, has enough power uh, to really control the Polish politics. And the good news, uh, of course, coming from the last election, uh, is that that alliance, um, uh, while still very powerful, uh, um, does not have a majority. Right. So, so I think you know the Polish election, the last Polish election, uh, was the rare good news. Uh, uh, those days, uh, with all the terrible things happening uh, all over the world, um, and, and I think uh, we are, um, you know, um, very lucky to see the new liberal government um, uh, headed by Donald Tusk uh, uh, in power. You know, it was just accepted by by the president uh, uh, of the country, and uh, and they uh, had the oath of office, um, you know, two days ago. Uh, right. So- Poland is back uh, uh, on uh, democratic trajectory. I, I think uh, right. it's important because the one more term of peace would mean the end of uh, of Polish democracy, really. Right? So, so it was the last moment when things cannot can be reversed uh, and the rule of law established and relations with uh, with Europe rebuilt. Um, uh, so that's that's is indeed a very lucky moment, right? Well, it was an unexpected turn of events, I think, right? That Tusk took over, and uh, a good sign, as you say. Uh, and insofar as you know, the right in contemporary Europe is exercised about you know its opposition to Brussels. Uh, it seems to me that Tusk is a particularly kind of representative figure for you know the orientation towards Europe. Uh, so I wonder what you would say about that and what you expect from him, you know, once he now that he's in office. Well, I mean, you know, it was a big side of relief uh, uh, in Europe um, because uh, Poland under Kaczynski and Hungary and, under Orban uh, uh, posed a really, you know, quite significant threat to the European Union. Um, although, you know, over the last several years, um, uh, EU developed strategies of, um, of 
you know, trying to deal with uh, uh, with this uh, kind of, uh, um, you know, anti-liberal, uh, anti-European uh, threats. Um, but because of the construction of the European Union, I, I, I think uh, it was very difficult to deal with countries which are uh, sort of violating all the fundamental uh, values of uh, of the Union. You know, when founding fathers were sort of designing uh, designing the EU. Uh, no one really uh, uh, believed for a moment that that you know the member of the European Union could go authoritarian. Uh, uh, so they did not construct the mechanisms of uh, what to do when something like that uh, happens. Uh, and indeed, it happened with uh, uh, with Hungary and and to some extent with uh, uh, with Poland. So uh, so I think you know the fact that Poland is back. Uh, in uh, in uh, liberal and pro-European camp uh, uh, is a very good news for uh, for the EU. Uh, uh, now, you know, Hungary uh, as the best friend of Putin in uh, in Europe uh, can be uh, really isolated and uh, and control. Uh, Hopefully, better than uh, than in the past. Uh, uh, you saw yesterday, uh, of course, that uh, that Hungary voted against uh, uh, financial aid uh, from EU uh, to to Ukraine, and and that's exactly is you know the kind of uh, uh, policies uh, um, supporting you know Putin's aggression, uh, uh, which uh, which Hungary. Uh, has been pursuing for for a number of years. Uh, now it it is uh, you know we are talking about Poland, but uh, but but you know let, let me say this: uh, it it is really surprising uh, that the country which suffered so much uh, from uh, you know the Soviet Union uh, uh, now you know is so firmly. Uh, uh, supporting uh, uh, Russian imperial uh, ambitions. Uh, you know, Poland was, I mean, Hungary was the uh, ally of Nazi Germany, of course, was then, in, you know, invited uh, by, by the Soviet Union in the end of the uh, of the war. A uh, very brutal communist regime was uh, imposed on it. And then, you know, the, the Hungarian revolution in 56 was crushed by, uh, by Soviet military invasion. So, uh, you know, given that... Uh, 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 that history, uh, uh, I think it's it's really difficult to um, uh, uh, to understand why uh, why the Hungarian government uh, the, does the thing it, it does. Um, um, well, now, presumably, so, the answer to that is that Orban thinks it's good for him. Well, uh, right, right. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I mean, you can have a lot of uh, uh, potential um, uh, ideas about uh, why he is so firmly uh, supporting Putin. Um, uh, you know, I, he has a lot of very uh, close economic relations with uh, with Russia. Um, you know, many of the economic relations with Russia involve you know significant amount of corruption, as we know. Um, so, so you know. There can be a lot of uh, potential uh, explanation for 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 his behavior, um, but I think um, you know Hungary is uh, firmly an authoritarian society now, and it, it poses a serious 
kind of challenge to uh, to the European Union and to NATO, uh, as a matter of fact, right? Because being being a democracy um, has been uh, one of the fundamental conditions um, uh, for for EU uh, EU membership. Um, so I think that it's going to be a very important uh, uh, several years uh, in which um, the EU, um, you know, have to developed um, a set of mechanisms uh, to deal with um, uh, with that situation but i think you know from that point of view polish uh, uh, polish uh, uh, change uh, is uh, is very important one uh, although you know it's not going to be a, an easy one uh, so so first of all um, i think you know poland uh, uh, as a big country with uh, with significant economic and political interest uh, uh, is not going to sort of, you know, completely enthusiastically embrace uh, everything, uh, uh, you know, European Union wants to do. Right, so so I think um, you know Poland is very much concerned about uh, about the voting system, uh, uh, and even you know with people like Tusk and Sikorski at the, at the helm, um, they will be you know uh, trying to reconcile some uh, interest of the of the mid-sized countries uh, with um, you know with the proposed changes uh, in the voting system in the EU and so on and so on. Uh, so that's um, uh, that's one uh, you know issue that um, perhaps those who have um, you know hopes that Poland will be absolutely you know in line with all the ideas uh, uh, on the table uh, maybe maybe a bit disappointed. Uh, but you know this this government is 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 firmly in support of uh, of the EU and European integration. The the disagreement is about um, about details and you know the way how to do it uh, in the best way and so on and so on um and then you know the domestic situation is going to be a difficult one right so um you know this is actually you know intellectually fascinating issue right how do you clean up after the populist rule you know it is a different situation when you have the collapse of authoritarian regime and transition to democracy um, and we know that you know the way to deal with the old regime is one of the most significant issues in um, in 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 those processes of democratization. And um, over the years, lots of various strategies have been developed uh, how to do this right so you know all the transitional justice uh, ideas about truth commissions about uh, lustration and so on and so on are there and 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 were used in in different countries um but you know the government which was in poland um uh, was not authoritarian one uh, and didn't do horrible things uh uh, um, you know, many of the authoritarian regimes uh, uh, routinely do. Um, uh, so it didn't jail the political opponents, in, in didn't kill, you know, opposition activists and so on and so on. Um, um, so, it, it, you know, the, the things centered on breaking the rule of law, breaking the constitution and, and so on, corruption scandals of various kinds and so on. They're very important, but uh, but not, um, you know, in uh, in the same league 
as you know what communists did uh, or you know what what some other authoritarian regime did uh, so the big question is uh, okay so how do you clean after after the regime how do you restore uh, uh, the rule of law uh, and of course you know peace was very clever in uh, in um, taking advantage of uh, economic of uh, political institutions and 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 rules of the game and fortified its position in many different uh, ways uh, as to prevent you know the new government from uh, from you know doing many things uh, so the president is still you know the card carrying member of uh, of peace um uh peace has you know, really um, uh, massive representation in the parliament uh, with, you know... Peace, um, just to be clear, peace is uh, law, law and justice, right? Right, peace. Yeah. That's the it's Polish... The Polish, Polish acronym, of sorry. The, of the law and justice, uh, right. Um, uh, and and there are many institutions which, uh, which uh, um, are still controlled by peace, the most important of which is that constitutional tribunal uh and i think the discussion on the on the uh, uh, you know polish liberal side is now uh, uh how can we clean after peace and can we bring can we break some of the rules to be able to restore the rule of law so some of the Polish legal scholars are saying, well, you know, if you want to restore the rule of law, uh, you know, the wrong way is to do it uh, by breaking law, uh, right? Uh, but some others uh, argue that uh, that this is an unusual uh, situation and, uh, and it requires uh, uh, action, which sometimes, you know, you need to, you know, break the rule of law and 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 constitution in order to make sure that the constitution is firmly in place and 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 really not uh, um, and and really able to structure you know the political the political system. So so it it's it's you know very difficult situation um, and peace as we already uh, know after after the election is going to fight and to uh, uh, subvert um, changes in all possible ways. Um, you know, the fact that the government is in place almost two months after after the election has been a part of the game, right? So president uh, of the country using, you know, the procedures uh, gave peace, uh, um, you know, almost two months uh to do many things uh so first of all to clean uh the offices um there is a lot of there was a lot of shredding uh, going on to destroy all kind of evidence of uh, of wrongdoing uh by by peace government and officials and so on uh it gave um, uh, the party time to um you know to to come up with a program uh, of you know how to defend uh, what they gain over over the years and it gave the party possibility to change the laws uh to prevent the Tusk government from cleaning up right interesting um, so i mean it 
it sounds in a way not unlike our own situation, even stemming back to the Obama period when there were calls for, you know, trying or otherwise coming to terms, so to speak, with the uh, Bush administration's invasion of Iraq, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, and, you know, that went nowhere because Obama thought, you know, that's going to divide the country in ways that simply, you know, the country can't withstand. And of course, we've now been through this with Donald Trump. And, you know, tried to put him through, you know, constitutionally mandated procedures for, you know, wrongdoing in high office and that sort of thing. Uh, And, you know, he faces all these trials. But the, the problem with this is that it may create and seems, you know, if you look at what's going on in the Republican Congress, uh, it may create a kind of cycle of retribution. Every time a new party comes into power, they say, well, the previous guys did something bad and we have to, you know, go after them about it. And then you start, you know, having polities like, you know, we associate with Central America and things like that. So anyway, um, it's a, it is a fascinating problem. I agree with you. Um, no, I mean, I mean you know, exactly, right. This is exactly the, 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 you know, why this issue is so important, right? Do you want to establish that pattern that, that, you know, every time uh, the new party takes over, this is this massive, you know, firing going on and so on. But uh, the, the one point which needs to be stressed in com- comparing, you know, us and, um, and, um, um and european countries uh is that um um you know the the, the key difference uh is that um uh, the european governments uh, have much more control uh, over you know the economy over um, various structures of local administration and so on and so on right so uh, you know the, the cleaning after trump uh, involves his own uh, basically, and his closest associates, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, actions breaking the law and and so on. Um, uh, Trump did did not take over American television and turn it into a propaganda machine, right? Uh, Trump did not um, expel all the directors of theaters and museums and and so on and put his own people there, right? So, so I think um, you know it's uh, it's on the one hand. Uh, given the proportional representation and and multi-party systems in Europe, it's more difficult for uh, for extremists to to take over power, right? Because you know parties uh, uh, of that kind usually have like twenty percent, twenty five percent at best votes in, uh, in 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 European countries. So it's it's much more difficult to 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 form the majority. Uh, government by the parties uh, of, of radical uh, right. Um, but then when, for whatever reason, they uh, they are able to get power, they have much more opportunities to do the damage to the institutional, uh, to the institutional system. So, you know, another example, uh, um, you know, Poland has a relatively uh, large state sector, um, so uh, the, the peace government, Kaczynski government, stuffed uh, the boards and managements uh, of those uh, uh, companies with thousands of thousands of uh, of its own uh, supporters and and party members. Now, you know, you have to clean it up because those people are usually uh, people who have no 
skills and and preparation to run this kind of enterprises so we so imagine that you know a polish uh, energy company one of the biggest in europe uh, um, is run by a person uh, who uh, um, finished the high school for uh, uh, agriculture technique technicians and his only uh, you know accomplishment uh, uh, is that he uh, was the mayor of a tiny city uh, you know like a big village uh, in um, uh, in Poland uh, now he is made you know, a manager of something which is like, you know, I don't know, Shell or BP, a huge company with uh, with assets and operations in many countries and so on. And that happened to many uh, uh, places in, uh, in, in, in Polish institutional landscape. They, um, you know, peace absolutely reject meritocratic uh, criteria, scrapped, um, you know, all the, all the exams and other requirements for, for officials like you know in the ministry of, of foreign affairs uh, um you know under uh, under the liberal governments you needed to know two languages and have uh, education uh, at certain level to become uh, ambassador in the country now peace scrap that right so you could become an ambassador without knowing any foreign uh, foreign language and that kind of affected uh, everything um you know from industries to um, you know local administration and so on so now restoring the meritocratic criteria in filling up positions you know in industry and government is one of the most important uh, challenges uh, which that government faces right <laughs> well i wasn't really aware of the extent of the you know loyalists putting loyalists in in positions of whatever authority but you know uh, i've mentioned trump i'm sorry I, I i couldn't avoid it i guess but you know i mean this is exactly what people seem to think is what he's going to do if he gets in uh to office the second time around he's precisely going to clean house uh put it you know install his loyalists get rid of you know the so-called deep state and you know, I mean, there was this striking confluence of media coverage of this, as you probably saw, you know, uh, articles in The New York Times, Robert Kagan's lengthy article about what Trump was going to do if he gets into power, and a special issue of The Atlantic all addressing this uh, problem. And uh, I mean, that strikes me as an, an enormous, a high level of alarm, at least among, you know, liberal media elites in the United States. And so I wonder, you know, from the perspective of a place that's gone through this, uh, you know, what what would you say about our situation? And, you know, there's, of course, a corollary concern that if uh, Trump gets into power, his, you know, uh, enthusiasm for NATO is distinctly limited. And, you know, what what might he do on the foreign policy front? Well, I think you know there are very important lessons for uh, for the U.S. Uh, um, you know from from the situation like the one in Poland, but but also in some other countries like Turkey, for example, right, uh, where you have the leader with authoritarian ambitions, and um, and and of course, as we know from you know wonderful book by uh, my friends uh, Daniel Ziblad and, and Steve Levitsky, um, most of the ways in which you know democracy operate uh, are uh, based on. In informal norms, uh, uh, which 
you know, um, actors are not fa- uh, forced to obey, right? So if someone uh, rejects those informal uh, norms and and rules, uh, um, situation changes in very in a very dramatic way, right? So I think um, you know what happened in Poland. Uh, 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 you know the the one important dimension of it was that for the for the first you know twenty five years of transition. Uh, Poland was trying to build a public service. Uh, basically, the professional bureaucracy, uh, which is built on meritocratic uh, criteria, uh, uh, which is not removable by a change of the of the ruling party, except for for the top positions, right? So you know this is this is what has been going on in the U.S. as well, right? We have those professional bureaucracies, uh, highly competent, uh, and and you know when when the presidency is changing changes hands, you know you kind of you know you you. Uh, have new secretaries uh, uh, and and um, you know assistant secretaries in those bureaucracies, but not really you know professionals who are there. Now um, we know that it's easy to uh, uh, to change the rules of that kind, right? So so I think you know in preparation for you know possible takeover of of state bureaucracies, uh, uh, some you know things have to be fortified. Right. Uh, I mean, yesterday you had the best example, right? So um, with this uh, new defense appropriation, uh, uh, we have a law now on the books that the president cannot take uh, uh, U.S. out of NATO alone, yeah. right? And that's kind of, you know, a good example of, uh, of uh, how uh, you introduce the legal, you know, barriers um, uh, for someone who, you know, wants to rule in a constrained way. Uh, So now, you know, Trump, if he gets the second term, uh, will not be able to come to Europe and say, okay, uh, I decided that US is going to leave the NATO. Um, And I think, you know, that sort of, you know, legal uh, preparation for you know, potential authoritarian uh, um, uh, predilections of the of the president uh, should be really seriously considered, um, uh, because it's you know it's the moment you start uh, taking over. Uh, I mean, you know, the big advantage, of course, in in the U.S. is that that you know you have you have free press in private hands. I mean you know you you cannot change the the, the heads of of uh, of uh, newspapers uh, the way uh, peace did it in Poland, right? Um, um, so so that's the big advantage, and of course you know the the, the, the private sector. I mean the in industry, the economy is, is in private hands, right? So so it's not easy to to you know put your people in charge of uh, of big companies and so on. So so you know uh, U.S. has much more uh, uh, leverage in dealing with um, uh, with uh, someone with authoritarian ambition than than many of the European countries where where the governments have much more power. Um, uh, so that's you know, but but I think now we we really need to uh, consider uh, uh, you know seriously the fact that the democracy is not safe uh, in any place, you know, including you know the U.S., including 
you know, big uh, continental European countries and so on. So, um, so you know, knowing that that's the case, uh, uh, we have to think really seriously uh, how to build fortifications, uh, which which sort of will slow down or prevent you know political parties or presidents or prime minister with with authoritarian ambitions to be able to implement those uh, those ambitions well i think we're going to end it there thank you for that fascinating and illuminating overview of the developments in polish politics uh since 1989 basically but uh, also ending with a kind of warning for us as well and a uh, very worrisome kind of uh, proposal, I think, for uh, where we stand and where, you know, much of the world, in fact, stands or parts of the world that we, you know, in some ways have taken for granted would never be authoritarian sorts of countries. But, you know, it's happening in Hungary and, and may happen elsewhere. But I just want to say thanks so much for, uh, you know, to Grzegorzek here for his insights about Polish uh, and East European and our politics. Uh, I also want to thank Osvaldo Mena Aguilar for his technical assistance and to acknowledge Duncan McKay for letting us use his song, International Horizons, as the theme music for the show. This is John Torpy saying thanks for joining us and we look forward to having you with us again for the next episode of International Horizons. Thank you.